So this week, you know, we're looking at reformation uh, through generations. I know, right? I don't know if that's relevant to anybody, but I hope it is. Reformation through generation. So uh, just a brief refresher on the theme. What we understand and see throughout scripture has been um, how the Lord wants to get his people ready for the most part. And we've discovered that throughout the year, some of us have gone through situations that have shaped us in a way that the father did not intend. And so this year we're trying to get back to what he had in mind for us to be and to, to walk um, this year. So we've got a couple more weeks left. We've got 13 weeks. Oh my God, 13 weeks left of the year. So this, uh, this Sunday, we want to look at uh, Reformation through generations. Okay. I'm going to give you some information here that um, you may know or may not know. And then I'm going to offer some gentle topics that in passing some of you have heard me discuss. Um, but in preparation for next year, where I believe the Lord is taking us for next year, um, I'm going to try to lay some information on you regarding that just lightly. Not, I'm not going to get all into it, the details, okay? <clears throat> but just enough to us for us to understand generations. Um, there are different definitions on the concept of generation. Um, depending on the context in which the Bible uses them or refers to them, um, the original language of Aramaic that the Bible was written in, the word generation refers to a group of people, a kinship group, a tribe, or various others uh, with specific characteristics. So. In the Old Testament, in Aramaic, when it says generations, it was more so speaking of those individuals that were in tribes or within, they had some commonality in whatever was being discussed, like the evil generation. You know, this is an evil and corrupt generation. You know, this is a generation of those that will seek, you know, that kind of thing. It's really about groupings. Um, but in most cases, the word generation refers to an age group within a particular society, tribe, or nation. So in this application, um, we get the, chrono the chronolo chronology of generations. So like in Matthew, it might say, I believe Matthew 117. Uh, so all the generations uh, from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Um, so that gives you an understanding. They're looking at time frame. Okay. Um, on last Wednesday, Miss Lisa came in, a guest, and we talked, and I asked her if she, if she believed in generational curses. Is that something she heard of? And she did, because she went to a white Pentecostal church, and it was very easy for us to relate what that information was. And pretty much, if you never heard this, is, it's the concept that there are certain family lines that are cursed with certain things, and uh, those things kind of stay in your family. Um, here at Renew, <coughs> Um, we don't believe that once you have Christ, you're still a victim of a generational curse. Uh, the idea of Christianity is that you're born again. Um, and as I was explaining to someone last week, you know, when the Bible talks about us dying and going to heaven, there, it does not mention that there's some great epiphany when we get to heaven, some great change of our soul or character when we, when we approach heaven. It just simply says we just wake up and there we are. Um, so the idea is that whatever you were supposed to be in order to get to heaven, the grand change 
what's supposed to happen here. That's the grand. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, now, now I'm going to be an upstanding moral person. Now I'm going to really, no, mm-mm. You had one born again situation and that happened down here. Yes? So all of this is preparation to be there. Make sense? And some people get that confused. They feel like they can just kind of just improve here and there and that's going to really get you in. And uh, no, it won't. And the blood of Christ is the only thing that can get us in there. And then number two, because of his sacrifice and our love relationship for him, we desire to stop sinning. We desire to live righteous. We desire to be more faithful and consistent in the things of God. So what we do, our works, does not generate salvation, right? But rather, our, Christ gives it to us freely, and then our works come from a place of love. In essence, there's a lot of stuff I can do, but I'm not going to do because I love the Lord too much. Amen? All righty. So when we look at generations, we kind of got an understanding of um, what the Bible means in generations. Um, uh, It has a a purpose in Deuteronomy 32, verses 7. Um, They're being told to remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. The entire Old Testament, pretty much, the the first five books of Pentateuch of of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? I don't know any more past that, so don't ask me to run the names. I'm not that person. Um, I've got tabs in my Bible and Google, so. If no fact, if no fact, I can't do that. But nevertheless, the the Pentateuch or the Old Testament was not written as as a history per se but it does include history because it was written at a time when Israel was uh, uh, deported and and chopped up into many pieces and sold into slavery all over. And they did not want to forget the stories and the history and their relationship with God. And they were afraid that now that they've been spread abroad, that some of the great and mighty things that God has shown them and revealed to him in terms of who he was, that they might forget those things. So that's why the Old Testament, namely the first five books were written. Other prophets began to be compiled as they became an integral part of the Jewish life. Now, let's back up to Jewish. Okay, now this is a concept that I'm, I'm just giving you some the foundations here to make sure that we're all on the same page. So when it comes to Jews or Israel, all right, Israel has not always been, but in fact that God called Israel, the name Israel, before there was a nation Israel. And you guys have been taught that, right? So in the Tower of Babel, when everyone tried to reach up to heaven, you know, to the heavens by building and coming because they had one language and one people and one mind. And in this unity, they decided to reach heaven, the very throne of God. God said, "Uh uh-uh, that is terrible. It's not going to how it's going to work. In essence, you're not going to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil to make yourself more like me by doing what I told you not to do and then try to get up here with me by also doing something that I told you not to do. Yeah, right? That's not going to work. So then he, uh, he cursed all of the, uh, those nations and divided them into different languages. So they all began to babble or have different languages, and the people that had the same languages began to group up. And those people were given territories and, according to Scripture, certain gods all right, uh, lowercase g, gods, that ruled over those nations. And he said with the one thing that Israel will be mine. Now, as of yet, there was no nation Israel, all right? So when Jacob is born and he wrestles with God, all right, then his name is changed 
to Israel. Yes. And this is the beginning of the Israel, Israeli nation. Right. So then they become a tribe and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger under slavery in Egypt. Yes. I'm just, just, we're just going straight through. <laughs> All right. Then they go to slave. They're enslaved. Joseph, I believe it was, who was a descendant of Jacob and, and, and all his brothers, they got, you know, he, he got sold out and went to Egypt because his brothers tried to kill him and then sold him as a slave. Um, and then he rose in the ranks. And so then there was a, a, a very close relationship politically between uh, Israel and Egypt. And it was great until that Pharaoh died. And then Israelites got too big. And they was like, uh-uh, these black people trying to take over. We need to, you know, lock them down even more. And so they made them all slaves. Uh, sounds very familiar. And, and, and told them that they had to work for them for another 400 plus years. And that's what happened. Now, as they got big, and now you have the children of Israel as a huge nation that grew under slavery, yeah. like something that should have destroyed them. They just multiplied bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when they got so big, God said, now that's Israel and I want them. And he goes to Egypt and he, through miracles and signs of, of Moses and the reluctancy of the Pharaoh at that time, God delivers them uh, with a mighty hand and a show of great and wonderful miracles. Yes? Amen. Okay, now. There are three major generations that we have to be aware of when we look at the history of Israel. All right, and I would like for us to look at the generations of Israel um, and some of us, because those are the only ones that matter. Amen. None of the other generations, no matter how you group them in terms of people groups, matter but these. It's the children of Israel and then the Christians because uh, we, we show up in their, in their generational line uh, because Jews do become Christians, okay? So there's only three major generations that really the entire point of our time circles around. And it's important that we know what those three are because um, we are in one of those three. And uh, I would like for us to see which one we're in. Amen. Duh. All right, you're already, it's three of them. All right, all right. It's the last one, number three. All right. People are like, mm, which one? It's the number three, we're already... Never mind. All right. So the major uh, three generations of, his, of Israel can be defined as this. Number one, the generation of people who were liberated from Egypt and subsequently journeyed through the wilderness for 40 years. All right. 40 years is, is, is important. All right. At that time, an adult was considered 20 years of age. Okay. Um, and we'll look at that in some more detail. Number two is the generation that rejected Israel's true Messiah, leading to the destruction of Jerusalem and the long diaspora of Israel, which we'll, we'll look at that, just put no Christ diaspora. <laughs> All right. And then number three, the generation during which Israel would be restored to the land of their fathers in the end time <coughs> as a prelude to the spiritual restoration as the chosen people, I know you didn't let me slow that down. The generation during which Israel would be restored to the land of their fathers in the end time as a prelude, precursor, the beginning of, okay, to their spiritual restoration as the chosen people. 
what is uniquely different about number three versus numbers one and two is a lot of things. But one is that numbers one and two just reveal Israel as a physical nation by genetics, by bloodline, by code, right? Um, but number three says that while they may be a physical genealogical people, that they have not, they are not the chosen people spiritually, and that has to be restored to them in that third generation. Yes. Okay, because collectively uh, they rejected the Messiah. And when we say collectively, more specifically, the Knesset, the, the leaders of that time, all right, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all right, those individuals, the, those are the ones that rejected. So when your leadership rejects the Messiah, then all of you have rejected him as a nation. Uh, so that happened. Amen? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 50, verse 50 says, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Uh, this groups generations by those who fear him. Um, and Luke gives us a wonderful expository on the last days, the day of the Lord. And when studied um, in Luke chapter 2, uh, let's see, some latter chapters, chapter 21, when studied, you could really see how the Father, Christ, how Jesus speaks of these last days. Jesus gives uh, on the Olivet Discourse, the Olivet Discourse, which is a conversation and a sermon about the end times. And Jesus gives that in Luke, right? But if you want to study that, that's where it is. It's in Luke. And it's important to know what Jesus said about the last generation, okay, and what that, was, that day looks like. And it's very important. So we'll, we'll go into it some today. But if you want to really get into it, uh, that's where you should, you should head. Okay, so... <clears throat> so from the generation of those who were liberated from Egypt, number one, and journeyed through the wilderness. There's a couple of things that we should note there. Like we said, the uh, people at that time were considered an adult when you were 20 years or older, because that was the time, according to numbers, that you could actually join the military. So for those people, to be an adult was 20, all right? Now, because of the rebellious nature of Israel uh, in that generation, um, that entire generation of adults were not allowed to go into the promised land. So if they were 20 years or older, they weren't allowed to go in the promised land because they built that calf and started worshiping other gods and they had a very complaining heart. And it was, it was a whole mess, all right? In essence, what you're noticing about God is all of this has been considered a love relationship. He loved his creation. He loved us. We turned our backs on him, started being self-serving. Initially, no, we didn't serve other gods. We just served ourselves, which is problem number one for all of humanity is to be self-serving. Yes. Amen. Most of the reason why people don't want to come to Christ is because they have already decided that what they think or feel about eternity, about life, about the purpose of life is the solution. And that's really crazy because since you don't even know how to make yourself get here, I don't think that you should also trust your opinion on the purposes of life and the, the after. I mean, could you really know what happens when you die when you don't even know what happened before you were alive? I mean, and to trust your own intuition and gut knowledge, something that you know, like I do, that that, that mug changes all the time. One minute I'm like, yay. Next minute I'm like, bump this mess and just throwing over tables. You can't really trust that part too tough. But so many people are so literally hell-bent on controlling their own lives 
that they'll believe the delusion that they could actually come up with these answers in of themselves. And that is the entire Instagram, you know, to thy own self be true. What is true to you, you know? Cut everybody else, you know, it's about you. And, and look inside yourself and introspection, introspection, and get to know you. I'm so tired of people coming to church. So I'm so, I know myself, you don't know nothing. You don't know anything. And now it's the entire world is saying, look into yourself. Look into yourself for the answers. Look into your own heart. The Bible says a man's heart is deceptive in how many ways? All of its ways. And I believe he's telling the truth. He's telling the truth. But now a society and a world, technically a generation, that has no acceptance of authority, has no, no, no choice but to just turn within. Right? That's it. And our generation, your generation, the ones that are coming, has a very hard time accepting authority. Isn't that right, CC? Because they really think that they accept authority, and that's not true. They only accept the authority that they agree with. And when they don't agree with the authority, then they no longer trust or respect that particular position. Isn't that right, CC? So this generation has a hard time with authority because we've seen now with the internet, and you can Google anything, and all news is instantaneously on your news feed, how many leaders fall. And so now leaders are not trusted, and none of the leaders are really wanting at this point to step out and say, examine my life, look at it completely from the inside out, let me really disciple you closely so you can go with me to everywhere I go, <laughs> see how I live, and that is not a lie. And no leader wants to do that because there is a possibility that they're not living what they're preaching, and then that will, they think, destroy the entire faith, rather than us really being called to the mat, right? Now, I'm not saying this from a, a leader that has been perfect. I have made my mistakes. I fell into sin as an elder and knew very clearly, you need to be responsible for stuff. What almost, almost destroyed me in my life, wanting to end my life, was the idea that I brought so many to Christ, so many were counting on my faith, and I did not perform. And the idea that I could weaken their faith. This happened to me two times in my life as a Christian. The first is when we went to that Word of Faith movement with Creflo Dollar and Kenneth Copeland and all the rest of them. And my father recognized after much debate from other theologians that that stuff was wrong. And he fought for it. And then he found out, yeah, them scriptures was twisted. Completely taken out of context. Came back, told me I, had, I already had teachers going to my church. I had kids going to my church. And now you're going to tell me this stuff is wrong? I just, I just, I just fell out. <laughs> I fell out. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle the idea. How am I going to go find them? Number one, there's four different service times at this church. I don't even know what service they go to. But like, hey, we need to go. <laughs> and as a teen, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I'm not going to be able to hold the type of emotion that feels like I've let so many people down. And not even to mention that I really believe this with your whole heart. And you know how it is, young people, when you really believe something with all you got. Like, I just love that person with my whole heart. I just loved him. I loved him. I loved him. And somebody come and tell you you did not love them. That was all a, a facade. Y'all get real offended when I tell you that. But, Pastor, I love them. I said, did you sleep with them? Yes. You did not love them. No, you loved you. And you love what they provide for you so much so that you don't mind taking them to hell or playing with their spirituality as long as your needs are met. Wow. And this is true of relationships and marriages now because now the running, the running method of, of relationships is if no one is no longer good for you, cut them. Now so much self-preservation that even believers don't recognize that we're supposed to be self-sacrificing. 
and we applaud those. Mm, what, he ain't do nothing for you? Leave him, girl. What, she ain't do that? Uh-uh, man, you need to drop that. And we applaud selfishness and preservation. Again, a concept that I can't really understand, considering how can you preserve you when you can't even make you stop breathing or keep breathing. Like you have no control over that. One day you're gonna be like, I'm dead. And you had no idea that that was gonna happen at that moment. So preserving self is probably not the best approach considering you can't even control self's life. You can even try to kill yourself and the Lord said, you ain't dying, you're gonna just be maimed and paralyzed. So I'm sorry, I tried. You're gonna wake, you're gonna wake up and why y'all wake me up? <laughs> you need to live. Dang it. <laughs> right? There's certain things you just cannot control, but yet you still feel that preserving your life is the path to go. I figured this out young. All right, that uh, this don't seem like the right course of action here. So when when I didn't understand authority then. And I felt like the church let me down. I backslid for about four plus years and lived like a heathen during my times at the University of Georgia. Don't judge me. I did. Okay. Then I came back to God. All right. Through nothing spectacular other than I thought he was going to do something terrible to me. I wanted him to do something terrible. I don't even know if that makes any sense. But I wanted God to prove himself and be like, destroy something in my life so then I'll come to you and go, oh, you are God. Right. You're the one. I should never left you. Because I figured if I made him so mad, and I did. I was telling Elijah, I was teasing other Christians at the university that would try to witness to me. And I knew so much through study that I could trip them up on questions that they couldn't even answer. And I'd be like, watch this, watch this. They'd be leaving crying. <laughs> I'm just trying to help her, little Jesus. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. That, that wasn't right. That wasn't. I tried to make him so mad that he would just leave me alone, right? Or do something terrible. So I have to humble myself and came, oh, you are God. And he never did anything like that. And I couldn't understand it. And so one day I just said, why didn't you do something terrible to my life? And for the first year in four plus years, for the first time I heard the spirit of the Lord say, because I love you. And my heart broke and I started crying and I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. I had to pull over. And that's how I came back to the Lord. Now, now I'm coming back to the Lord realizing that my knowledge of scripture is not necessarily the end all be all to my salvation. That I'm not saved through my intellect. And I had to learn that, right? So now I'm going to go back to God. I'm going to start all new, anew with Jesus. And I'm going to just do whatever he tells me to do. <laughs> and I'm just going to learn everything I needed to learn. Fast forward, I did that, had many ups and downs. And then come to the realization that now, even still, I have a hard time in Christianity. And yet again, I'm caught not understanding some key principles about God and the pressure of that when I see my own sin show up as an, a leader ordained and the responsibility of that, I become undone. And this is the second time that emotionally I recognize I can't handle this stuff. And so I just fall and I leave and the whole thing got messy and I had to leave the church and I was sitting in the back of another church just like, I'm glad you haven't left me, Jesus, and I'll just sit back here. Only to find that before I knew it, at Pastor Co. Nine's church, somehow somebody found out I had a gift, and they just started inching me on up to leadership. And I wasn't upset. I was shocked, as I told Brother Elijah. I was, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I felt like I had messed up so bad. Yeah. I mean, as an elder, like destroyed situations. That is no way he would use me again. So when I saw him anoint and use the same gifts, 
as actual spiritual gift stuff that I could not do, like word of knowledge and healing. I'm like, oh, so you, you cool with this? Somebody asked me, how do you get over the darkest thing that you've ever done in your life? How do you get over the feeling of shame and guilt that to, to even feel like you're even worthy? How did you get over it? Because now I tell my testimony, like, yeah, I was doing all kinds of mess, right? And I feel like I have the love of God. And, and someone asked, well, how do you get to that point? And I said, honestly, it's just his persistence. Christ was so persistent in loving me. Like, I mean, just, I mean, he just kept, just kept going and going and going and going. That over time, when my heart rededicated towards him, it began to soften because I thought, if you love me still, and you show it still, then I should at least let that go. It was his love for me that made me go, well, maybe I am all right in your eyes. But it took, it took time. It took time because that, those big evil things, the darkest one, and everybody got one. If you ain't got one, you're going to have one. <laughs> that darkest thing, that most evil thing that you have in your past, it takes time for God's love to keep showing up, right, in your life where you finally go, I'm okay. And it took years until I finally wasn't ashamed of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I could finally, there was nothing I regretted but that in my life. And it was a sin of, of sex, right? And uh, what is it? Uh, lesbianism, homosexuality. And that was the only thing I ever regretted in my life. And if I could undo it, I said I would just undo that thing. Because years of my life I hated it until some of my babies began to struggle. And I didn't know how glad I was to just be able to help. Yeah. It's not that my efforts could be successful, but I would lose my mind watching people that I love suffer through that and have nothing to do. Yeah. Do you understand? Just be like, just keep praying, just keep praying. I don't know, you gotta keep praying. You need deliverance, come to the altar. You know? And that's all I had to offer. And I would lose my mind because these are people that I loved. Some of you in this congregation, did that my heart broke. And I just said, if I had to do it all over again now, I would do it the same way. I never thought that. You could never tell me. That was always the thing I wanted to change. And I said, if I had to do it all over again, the amount of pain that I suffered, and embarrassment, humiliation, spiritual abuse, I would change it. And now I say I would do it exactly the same, just for the hopes of being there for one of my kids that needs it. Hello? You know, that's something that was my evil thing I never thought I could get over, right? And now I'm like, I would do it again. Because if I know what I know now, that's all people need is somebody that can relate. Yeah. Somebody can understand, you know? You fell in this sin, but you're not the devil. Can, can, you, can you see that I'm not the devil? I don't know, you look like the devil to me. And the, <laughs> and the church handles you like, and, you know, that's some, that's some evil stuff. That's more, it's always because it's more evil than what you've done. Yeah. Now you're Satan. Right? Now it's a demon. Do you understand? And not recognizing how to see people by the spirit of God and not by their flesh is, is an intricate part of ministry. So we can condemn it to the flesh, but I see you as a believer and we need to work on that part. And because I understand that everybody's not the devil, now we have some relationship to move forward and to see yet again the testimony of Christ show up in somebody that was just like me. So two times in my life, the weight of ministry hit me. And what we're hoping for now, and I know we're not the only church, is that more leaders are being more transparent about leadership 
and showing their disciples their actual lives and not just the smokes and the lights and the, you know, I mean, now church is a doggone production. Have you seen? It's amazing. And oh my God, that's so nice. And in my mind, I'll be thinking, who has the time to do that? Because by the time I get done with my 25th phone call for the day, my fourth meeting of the day, I still got night shift, which includes Bible study, discipleship class, <laughs> new members class, or whatever the next thing, MIT. I'm like, how did they, how did they get that whole production? And mega church pastors are now writing the things that they would have done differently before they became a mega church in order to stop the same influx because now the church is such a big business that you can't stop it because somebody else's food is not going to be on the table because you decided to have a spiritual epiphany. And that's not fair to the members and the people that are on salary at your church. So now even when you want to stop, you can't stop because this thing's got so much momentum that it could hurt other people that were loyal. So now you're just stuck changing little things over time. And so when you read of these case studies and pastors, the first pastor that ever had multiple sites and locations, the first mega pastor in the United States was a pastor from Minnesota. When you read his story, you recognize we're on the right track. We're on the right track. It's going to look really weird, but we're on the right track. Amen? Because it's not so much about the numbers. The generation of those who were in Israel who needed to be liberated, it was tough because once God delivered them from Egypt, they felt like now we are the chosen people of you. We should have no problems. And they had a ton of problems. The enemy was chasing them. They had no food, no water. In essence, they began to complain when they got thirsty, duh, and when they got hungry, duh. These are basic life necessities, all right? And when the enemy is trying to kill me again, yes, I'm going to complain and have some problems because these are the basic necessities of life. And considering these things are being touched, now I don't trust you as a leader, God. So my problem with authority shows up now. When you're not doing and handling my life and my basic necessities the way I think you should. Say amen. Amen. I want the people to hear you. On our our 60,000 subscribers. Need to hear you on the podcast. Amen. Amen. That when it seems like God is not doing something that I know is a necessity for my life, now I have a hard time obeying his authority. That has been in humans for a very long time. And it was that seed that caused them not to go into the promised land. And a whole new generation, those who were less than 20 years old, those are the ones that went over to the promised land. Plus two, Joshua and Caleb. These are the only ones that felt like God could do anything. It's the the innocence of those young believers that show up after those old ones that have bore the burden of all the problems. You know, all the hunger and the thirst. It's just, it's just the way it is. And then the new baby come in. Oh, my God, I love Jesus. Let's just go for what he says. And they come in fired up. If that's what God says, let's do it. If that's what Jesus says, let's do it. And it's hard for a generation of people not to lose that. Yeah. In this house, we have a first generation. <laughs> and then it's 1.5 generation, one and a half generation. Okay, still, still in the one. All right. 
And the old heads is, is now looking at the new heads, and they coming in all, yeah, I'm so excited, let's do it. And the old people are like, do what? Same old, same old. You need to sit down and recognize, oh, Pastor, nice today till she ain't. Then watch out for that. What? <laughs> How did I get in this? <laughs> and trying to make sure that one of the things we instill in this church from generation to generation is that when you see the next generation coming in, it is a time for revival in your heart, not theirs. Y'all don't want to help me today. It is time for your heart to be revived. It is time for your heart to turn. It was a blessing to you to remind you of how innocent and how excited and how what is a fanatical used to be about God. That's for you. Them your blessings. It's not up to you to try to make sure that they are, you know, properly prepared for the storm that's getting ready to happen in their lives. Right? But it was a blessing that God is saying now, look at where you're at. See how your heart is? That's a problem. And if our church can maintain that, then this church will live and be true to what God called us to be for many generations. Because the truth about generations is that there's always the presence of the old when the new also shows up. The old supposed to remind them of what God has done. In our case, they just they don't remind too tough. They be like, shut up, <laughs> sit down. We're supposed to remind them of the miracles that God has done, and the new are supposed to add the strength of the wisdom that the old have. When you get a second generation that comes in that are young and strong, I mean, seriously. I looked at Shamar, Elijah, and uh, Hezekiah out there working in my yard. I was like, mm, mm-mm, mm-mm, just the thought of it. I can't even do it. I'm not even, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm just looking at it going, mm-mm, it's impossible. Now we get it done, just us two. You two people gonna move a truck full of dirt? And they did it. The other day, Shamar said, cuz, don't even worry about it. I'm gonna get that for you. I'm like, just looking at it just makes me disappointed at the lack of strength I have. Cuz I remember when I was able to do stuff. You know, I, I mean, that's how this, we, re, we literally did chisel up concrete that the, the contractor messed up. I mean, we would be up to four, five, six o'clock in the morning working physically, laborious tasks, just trying to give us some halfway decent in here. So people are like, oh, okay, this is not that bad. Versus, mm-mm, mm-mm, we need to go. <laughs> but now we don't have that strength. So generations now are coming in that are giving us the strength that the wisdom of the first generation is supposed to have, and then thus we all move forward even faster. Amen. Yes? No? Amen. The generation of those, the first generation of Israel were just like us, those who recognize that we don't like what our authority is doing, so we try to find another way to survive. Jesus. We start looking outside of what God gave us and do it the way they're doing it, right? Let me see what the Instagram, the latest relationship guru on Instagram is saying what is my worth now two I'm a two that's great thank you so much I need to level up so I could be a five and maybe marry somebody else as a five I don't see any of this in the Bible and if they really understood biblical gender a girl could be an alpha a boy can be an alpha they all can be leading they all can be soft there is masculinity and femininity in each person I don't understand what the big deal is. But if they understood the Bible, as you guys have learned from our retreat on, in Florida, Amen. that the man is not the head by authority, but he's the head because he is the, the source of that marriage in terms of he goes out and works. Yes? 
So in my opinion, if you want to respect as the head, i.e. source, then that also means I am not working. And by all means, I should give you the much respect that is due to you. <laughs> Thank you so much for these lights. What can I do for you? You know, that makes sense. But if you're going to have authority over me and I'm working too, and please don't let me make more money than you, and then you tell me as your gender I'm supposed to submit when we both know how stupid you really are, no. And finally, a generation of women has rose to say, I knew it. I knew they were not that smart. It's not that they're not smart as us, it's that their brain functions uniquely different. If we had to talk about gender differences, it's in the brain and nothing else. The brain is wired differently for men and women, and no matter what you do, how you dress, what surgeries or hormones you take, that ain't gonna change. A man gonna still think like a man, and a girl gonna still think like a girl. Hello? It is true, it is true, yes? So they had problems just like we had problems that first generation of Israel. The second generation, so the first generation of Israel lasted all the way up to right before Jesus shows up. And the second generation is defined by the ending of the first generation and the beginning of the second, all right? So the first generation died and the second generation shows up, which is also why we hear old covenant and new covenant because now Christ is here. And so the second generation is defined by those of Israel that rejected the Messiah, leading to the destruction of Jerusalem, which Christ prophesied about. In the year AD 70, it actually happened. We're gonna look at that in just a second. So that generation was the second one, and now the third generation is a generation during which Israel would be restored to the land of their fathers. And we're gonna look at that in just a second. There is a last generation, all right? There's a last generation that has extreme importance uh, within scripture. It's the final generation. Christ talks about it in Luke 21. You can find it in Matthew 24, Revelations 1, chapters 1, chapters 19. But the generation, that final generation, the Lord Jesus expects us to closely watch the unfolding events which indicate the eminence of his coming and even mentions a generation that will not pass away until all things are fulfilled. In view of this assurance, we should equate ourselves with biblical references to the last generation which is closely associated with the fulfillment of prophecies on the rebirth of Israel as a nation the liberating of Jerusalem from Gentile dom domination, the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation period with its extensive rage of awesome apocalyptic events, and the second coming of Christ. These are all the events of the final generation. Yes? Yeah. Depending on your, um, uh, your view eschatologically, um, the only difference here is that you're either believing that we leave before the times of tribulation, halfway between the times of tribulation, or after. All right, if you're confused about what I'm saying, there are some major events that define the, the final days. All right, one is Christ's return. The second one, he's coming, he's coming back. Two, the rapture of the saints, when those who are alive, when he shows up, they're instantly changed, right? Those dead in Christ, those in heaven, they get their new bodies resurrected in the twinkling of an eye. That's the rapture, okay? Then there's the judgment day, all right? Then there's the, the apocalypse of the war that all nations break out against Jesus. 
Um, and I think, I think that's the major ones, right? So the view of when those timings take place is still in debate, and there are four major views, but we're not going to get into that. Um, the most important thing is that that is the final generation. That is the end of that final generation. Um, and so what we're going to look at now is some ideas about where we could be. Yes? Amen. Okay. Uh, the second generation. The second generation uh, is in the New Testament, okay? Um, and the second generation were those who did not, uh, were held accountable because of the rejection they had of the Messiah. So every adult about 40 years old, because in the New Testament, an adult was considered 40 because according to Israel's uh, Jewish policy, at 40 years old, they could become a priest or a Sadducee or a Pharisee. So they were mature enough to have leadership roles. So in the New Testament, okay, ages, the age of maturity or adulthood was considered 40. In the Old Testament, it was considered what? 20, because they were able to go to war. That's important, okay? Um, so their final act of rebellion against God in this particular generation uh, was, of course, the crucifixion of Christ. Make sense? And Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you, all things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And that's Matthew 23, verses 36 through 38. A great resource that we're using today is um, a wonderful evangelist and theologian named uh, Johan Malay. He's from South Africa. He passed away about six years ago. But I tell you, I stumbled upon this writer, and he's amazing. So if you can find any of his books or his writings, again, that's Johan, J-O-H-A-N, Malay, M-A-L-A-Y, uh, from South Africa. He's pretty, he's pretty amazing. The destruction of Jerusalem and the international dispersion of Israel were directly associated with the rejection of Israel. So Christ tells the Jewish leadership of that day that because you were not accepting of me, they're going to ramsack all of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem and Israel just got together, all right? They're under Roman rule, but they got, they got their own stuff happening, okay? They got the temple. They can go to the temple. It's feeling like how it was supposed to be with the exception of the Roman government kind of still dictating. But for the most part, they were all together, right? And so Jesus says, because you rejected me, they're going to tear this whole city down. And they do. And there's a bloodbath, and it happens just a couple years after Jesus' ascension. Uh, <clears throat> and this is the dispersion, the diaspora of, of Israel that has now currently is what we, we know of, where all the tribes were sold and those that ran were ran and those that could be sold into slavery were sold into slavery and those that were dead were dead. But now there, is, there was no Israel after that. All 12 tribes just, we don't even know where everybody is. And it's been that way for a couple centuries now, yeah. right? right? Until something that happened in some of our days <laughs> recently, yes? Okay, so that was the second generation. Now, the third generation would be those, <clears throat> the final generation in that third generation would be the times where that period where Christ has returned, right? His second coming is gonna be in that last generation. Now, <clears throat> similar to the end of the first generation and the beginning of the second was a rejection of the Messiah, mm -hmm. yeah. right? That's, that's the, tur the turning point here. Yeah. So for the final generation, okay, they have a turning point as well. 
Since the second generation is defined by Israel's rejection of the Messiah, the final generation will be signified by their acceptance of Christ as the Messiah, according to the book of Revelation. They're going to accept him, right? Now, this acceptance of Christ as the Messiah comes uh, after something that is very key because Christ says that all of Israel and, Mo- and, and Daniel and the book of Revelation talks about that Israel will come yet again back to the promised land, back to the land of King David, yeah. back to the land of King Solomon. And from that seat is where Jesus is going to come and rule for a thousand years. That's the millennial period. Amen. There's a millennial reign, okay, in the book of Revelations, and that's where Jesus is going to come from heaven again. With all of us, and we're going to just start ruling all the nations. And it's going, we're going to get rid of all the problems that they had. We're going to get rid of all the scarcity and the wars and the famine. And for a thousand years, us, New Testament saints, which, okay, there's still people being born, living, and, okay, babies are still, life is still going on. But here we come in glorified bodies, able to move from the spirit realm to the earth realm without a problem, assisting Jesus in Reigning for a thousand years, reigning over other nations. Yes, his kingdom is now reigning for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, apparently, those nations don't like the idea that we're ruling. And they get together and want to fight against Jesus and all his kingdom. Now, this just seems ludicrous. Hmm? Something we discussed on Wednesday, if you weren't here, I'm going to bring it to your attention today. You have to recognize what type of world they had to be living in for them to look at Jesus, whose kingdom sits in Jerusalem, came down from heaven with people that was living way back when. Oh, that's uncle such and such. You know us, right? And we come, and now we're ruling. And then you decide after seeing all of this that you want to fight against us. Something is happening in the world where even the man descending from heaven is not brand new to you. Because if you ask me, let's go fight against Jesus. I'm just like, the one that just came from the heaven that just ascended here. I ain't never seen nothing. No, no, I think we should be with him. That makes sense. So since people have not changed ever, then what is happening in that world at that time where just him coming down from heaven is like, that's what's up. Now you're going to rule from Jerusalem. Let there be peace. The Antichrist has already showed up at this point and attempted the same thing to no avail, right? But that doesn't disperse all of his kingdoms. People are still trying to get together. We tired of this Jesus telling us what we can't do and what we should do, right? What is happening? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what I'm excited about is that we're going to look at next year, I pray, in detail, is as I discussed on Wednesday night, for those of you that were here, help me to remember, okay? Um, there's two major scientific, effect, uh, 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 scientific discoveries that have happened between 2021 and now. Two major ones, okay? It's a lot of them, but the biggest ones. Uh, the first one was, what was it? Huh? The atoms. Oh, the, the atoms smashing. Okay, the sun, as we, you know, this S-U-N, sun, okay, it's nothing but a bunch of plasma. And it gets its heat from hydrogen atoms leaving um, 
other atoms when they collide. The hydrogen collider that we studied about five years ago, do you remember that? They're taking atoms and photons and they're smashing them into each other, creating a very tight, tight space in hopes that they will hit each other because when they hit each other, then the electron has to pop off, right? And that electron leaving that atom creates an enormous amount of energy. So the first time in 2021, they did it once before, but it cost more energy to make it happen than it did than it produced. But in 2021 was the first time that they smashed these atoms together and it created more energy than it cost to actually cause the smashing. Okay, now you're like, oh, that sounds great. Okay, this means that a tiny little vial of serum could power your house for the rest of your life. In essence, this discovery and many companies are already beginning to make commercialized products that can use this in preparation for commercializing this type of energy source. This means that energy and power is pretty much unlimited. Because yeah. there's atoms everywhere. You're like, oh, here's an atom. Let me just run. You don't got to drill and mine for atoms. And considering it's a, it's a huge amount of power, we just take the power that you did the first one and use that to build the next one and keep crashing. You have a whole cycle of unlimited power. Every age in, in this world, age, not necessarily generation, but ages are defined by the, 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 the technology of the people of the world. Bronze age, ice age, iron age, industrial age. Now what's coming to a close is the information age, and what's coming into being is the biotechnology age, which is where we're going, right? So unlimited power, that means every kingdom and every nation will have unlimited energy resources. Okay, you couple that with cryptocurrency, which needs a huge amount of power, yeah. right? And then now the introduction of actual artificial intelligence. And then you're gonna throw in there that y'all got pieces of aliens somewhere. The Senate just said, y'all said that in the, in the Senate, you just said it. He's gonna throw out there that there's aliens and y'all know them and y'all got pieces of they. I was looking at the news like, is anybody watching this? When we said demons was real and they could be shaped, changed shape, like the Bible says, people thought all the Christians was too spiritual. What I'm trying to show you is that the atmosphere that will allow human beings, your descendants, to not feel so squeamish about some being coming from down from heaven and moving through dispensations and times, that, that they're, they're already in there. Okay, so do we, do we understand how there could be different dimensions? Check. Do we understand quantum tunneling? Check. Do we, do we have an unlimited power source? Check. Are we familiar that they're extraterrestrials? And check. Yeah. All the things that you need to understand anything that's happening in the book of Revelations. Yeah. Book of Revelations, the heaven's powers will be shaken. We're just talking about heavens. They're talking about what the scientists talk about in terms of dimensions. Yeah. We are, our society, is, our world is about, our universe is about 11 dimensions. We're going to look on, on I don't want to get started on that. Okay. You're in the generation that is now laying the foundation for an understanding of what the book of Revelations, that is not all just symbolic. As large portions of it are actual, literal. They just seem weird to us because we could never fathom, and now they're saying, oh, fathom it, people. Fathom it. It's huge. 
by 2045, a couple decades from now, our world will not be what we recognize right now. Because of that, two things, artificial intelligence, which means that they've trained computers to learn. Okay? It's, if you, it's, very, it's very scary, okay? Because now computers can learn, and you know they're going to be smarter. If they can learn, and we made you, and then we made you at, like, kindergarten level, and then you keep going up, at some point, you're going to go up past us. Where no human being this, has to know anything. You got to read a book and check. Give them pictures. They'll stop reading. You don't have to read a book. You don't have to know anything for yourself and check. Let them look at the Instagram famous people and just mirror their lives after that. Check. You, we are ripe for the generation that's going to that's gonna see all of this. So you've got computers that can learn from their mistakes that are going to outthink us. And then you tell me, Mr. Man, that you can implant a chip in my head where Siri is in my head or Alexa is in my head. And I'd be like, I want to order pizza. And it calls a I would like to order a pizza. And it thinks I want cheese and pepperoni. We would like cheese and pepperoni. Our address is. And the man is just sitting there thinking this. And 15 minutes later, the lady show up with the doggone pizza that we heard the phone call from his thoughts. This is a real scientific discovery. This is not some trick on some show. So, so now you can be like, uh, what's one plus one? Two. They would ask him random facts. What's the population of New Guinea in 1942? Google, and it, he would think it. And then Alexa would give him the answer and he would just say it and then they look it up and there it was true. I, AI is already telling you, you don't have to learn another language. Couple that with the idea that we can make your image in a video look like you're saying whatever we want it to say. And we can get you to say whatever you need to say, whatever language you need to say it, to a generation that is, I mean, I mean, focused on nothing but video as reality, we can tell you what is real anytime we want. Because you don't read, and you, all, you like to watch videos and documentaries. Cognitive ability down. Distractions up. Amplitude to think for yourself down. It's like now we have to teach Christians how to do things that our parents taught us years ago. That society is telling us to, to, down, to just downplay it. I don't need an actual Bible. You do need an actual Bible. And it's best to have one throughout many generations so that you could see the text that should change and the text that should not. Because Wikipedia is nothing but a whole bunch of people putting in whatever they want to think it is. Yeah. And that's your main source. Because it's the first one that pops up when you Google. So you all are going to determine what's true and what's not. By popular opinion. You have to think. There's nothing I hate more than a liar and a lazy thinker. You want to turn me off the most, like I just think you, mm, it's fine. It's to be a lazy thinker. I won't have it. When you pose a question as a member of this house, I expect to know that you put some study into it first. Yes. yes. I just randomly, what about this, Pastor? What about this? I am not. I am not. No, no, no. Do some work. Then let's have a conversation as peers. Because the purpose of, of the word of God in this house is to make sure that you know how to study for yourself. 
So all your problems with authority, now you can start studying for yourself and recognize that maybe I should give them a little bit more respect because knowing this information is extremely challenging now that I have to study it for myself. I'm like, this is what y'all be doing? This is what the good ones do. <laughs> we are in the information age, and that's coming to a close. So, of course, the church has to be ready. Yes? We have to have answers. Now, that's what I'm saying. This final generation, book of Revelation is like, oh, this is, this is happening. None of you thought that, not none of you, everybody born after 19, somewhere between the 60s, the 80s, none of the 2000s, knock y'all off, all right? None of us thought that we could pick up a phone with no cord, walk around with it, and then video call, like the Jetsons, and see the person on the other side in real time. We used to print out our directions on MapQuest. Before that, it was a triple-A triptychs. See, y'all so young. Yeah. Oh, you had to get a real map? I be, people today, Pastor, you don't, you don't use a map. It is not a foreign language. Yes, I know how to use a map. I try to tell Shamar, this is how you need to learn about Atlanta. This is 285, this is 20. My mama told me the steering wheel is 25, 75, 85, the two little handles that come in like that. 20 runs across the middle. That way you're never lost, right? He gonna tell me, I mean, I got, I got the ways on my phone. Well, just in case Waze is not available for you, you won't be lost. Cash up went down two days. We was like, now how are we supposed to send money? He was like, can you send me mm, cash out there? What? Oh, man, we know what to do. Where's our money? Mm -hmm. People are like, I don't got to keep record of my, che my checking account. I just print it out from the bank. <laughs> keep that up. Right now with cyber, what is that, cryptocurrency? You cannot keep a record of that because it's all encrypted. So now they're going to tell you we is your money and we is your record. I'm not against these things. I'm not the person that's pushing against these technologies. I'm sitting here going, come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> Who ain't saved today? Do you know Jesus? Let's get him. Let's get this. Let's get it going. Let's get it going while we can. Hello, somebody? Woo-wee! This final generation, yes, is now those that the third generation is going to come because the, the onset of that final generation is when the children of Israel have accepted the Messiah. They will accept the Messiah sometime between the rapture and his rulings, you know, on, in Jerusalem. They have to accept him by the time he comes to Jerusalem to reign. So this means that the diaspora of the second generation, when the church when the, uh, the, the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was sent out, that at some point Israel will have to come back to their actual land. And that will be an indicator of how soon the Messiah is coming back to reign because he's supposed to reign from Jerusalem in the land of his people. Yes? 
for generations upon generations upon generations, decades upon decades upon decades, centuries upon centuries upon centuries, Israel has always been fighting in the Middle East for something. Everybody fighting for something. And we don't know it's all cut up. The Muslims, Christians, Jews. But when we see that Israel begins to live in its actual land as a nation, then we'll know that he's coming. Yes? Is Israel now a nation living in its own land? We don't even know. The, the fact is, yes. And it happened. Let's go. Let's go back to history just a little bit. This is why you should study. I just wish my meeting calendar wasn't so full. I would spend all my time reading. I'm like, I don't have enough time to read all this. I'm like, all right. Israel was, became an actual nation in the Middle East and a land in 1967. 19, I think it was 1967. Let me make sure I got my dates right. I'm pretty sure it was 1967. Yes? Yeah. But I want to say it was before that. I think it was 1964. 19, 1948. 1948, 1967 was a six-day war. Okay, back up. In 1948, Israel decided we're going to be a nation. Now, they were outnumbered in their homeland by the Palestinians, okay, where we get the Philistines. Same, same, okay. They were outnumbered, genealogy, okay. They were outnumbered by like 100 to 1, okay. It was very few of them in there, all right. But they still said, we about to be a nation today. The U.S. said, no, you're not. They said, bump you, we are. And they've been doing the same thing for a very long time. So 19, what was it, 48? 1948, they become a nation. 1967, there was a six-day war, which was prophesied in the Bible in Jude, and I think it was one more, uh, I want to say Zechariah. That seems about right. All right, but prophesied that, there, that nations will come against Israel all around them, and the war would last for six days, and it would be miraculously ended in six days. Now, this 1967 war actually happened, and it lasted for six days. And the miracle that it described was just modern technology of that, that, that uh, what is that, the weapon, the airborne weapon defense system? The dome is what they call it, a partnership between America and Israel on technology to make sure that when missiles go over their area, there's a blanket, a dome that will hit and fire and shoot off and kill every missile that's in that area. We own the patent for that, and we shared it with them. Because us and Israel is like this for some reason. I think it might be because we all know what's going down, and they've been knowing, all the powers been knowing that the Bible is real. The reason the Vatican is the Vatican because they know that the prophecies in the Bible are accurate. And what the Vatican took out of the Catholic Bible is the stuff that if you read it, it gives you too much power, too much understanding. Like, no, don't tell them. Don't make the apocrypha. Ooh, apocrypha. Ooh, a, a terrible books. No, it's just books that weren't included. And Jesus references the book of Enoch. You should read it. It makes sense. But they'll tell Christians that you're crazy and make you scared to read up on your own stuff, and then give you so many distractions with TikTok, yes. that you don't even have the energy to read a book. But I don't know why I'm so tired. Could it be the two hours you've been? Like, Pastor, I don't know what it is. Every time I sit down to read, I just be so, you're so tired, so sleepy now. Mm. I know what it is. 
you're mentally lazy. Brain just fat and sloppy. Just give me information. I don't want to feed myself, you feed me. That's your brain. Because I ain't telling you nothing that you ain't, ain't Googleable. It's Googleable. Right? So this, six, this war happened because of uh, a technology that we share that if you try to fire a missile into our area over this dome, that our missiles are going to shoot it down in an instant, like boom, boom, right? Which is also why 9-11 had to be airplanes, because if you try to try to shot a, shot a missile over here, number one, it's done. And number two, we are coming for you. <laughs> so that's not a good idea. Nevertheless, let me stop talking all these key words that the people are going to come try to find me. <laughs> I love America. <laughs> this is America. America. My country to fifty. I'm trying to make sure I put enough stuff in my podcast that um, everything is going to go all right. I don't want nobody to shut us down, you know, with all our subscribers. They will take us down. But we love America, the land of the free. We love our president and all of our government officials. In no way do we think there's some type of secret conspiracy. Those people are crazy that think that. Don't laugh too hard. <laughs> so now we could see that the final generation would have to begin and start as Messiah is able to actually rule in Israel, which is when they turn, when Israel began to say that you are the Messiah is the end of that final uh, generation. So now Israel is actually an actual state, nation. They just deboated and said, we are. <laughs> we don't care nothing about what y'all say. They did. I'm going to show you a couple graphics here. I just wanted you to see it. I wanted you to see how close you are to that final generation really taking shape. Uh, we are at the beginning of it. In our church, we plan to have, um, you know, some impact going in that direction. Amen? Um, I hope that my church, all of my churches, by then, we all would be raptured up and, and, and none of us will remain. But if by chance, you know, pull up these podcasts and listen to the time that's coming, <laughs> coming to you. Amen? All right, so that's, that's pretty much it. That's all I wanted to say. Standing all over the place.